Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this term and how we've been able to dig into uh, Proverbs. We thank you uh, for wisdom. We thank you that you do help us to know how to live rightly, that you give it to us in uh, your word. We pray, Lord, that we might understand it again today, that you might enable us to live lives that glorify and honor Christ. That's in his name we pray. Amen. So as has been said a couple of times, we've come to the end of our series in Proverbs today, and we're actually moving from, we've sort of been doing topicals the last few weeks, and we're moving from that back to looking at just one passage, this uh, poem that finishes the whole book of Proverbs. We've been learning about the fear of the Lord to remember in everything who God is. Now, if you look in your Bibles, as you would have probably seen if you were following along during the reading, this is uh, titled, I suppose, uh, The Wife of Noble Character. Now, believe it or not, I have a wife, and uh, uh, she and I, we turned six yesterday. It was our wedding anniversary yesterday. And I calculated about that I've done about 23 talks or sermons this year, across the year, and none of them she's been very concerned about at all. Uh, but when I told her that I'd been given Proverbs 31 to speak on, she said to me, I have to read that one before you give it. <laughs> and to reassure you all, she has. Um, but it does. This passage invokes a lot of different responses for people, but especially women. It can be hugely, uh, hugely polarizing, part of God's Word. Even in the lead up to this week, I've had some women find out that I'm, I'm preaching Proverbs 31, they come up to me and they say, oh, I'm really excited to hear, hear Proverbs 31 preached on, it's really good, and I've had other women say, I kind of hate Proverbs 31. So just completely polarizing uh, responses to this passage. Some women may read this and feel empowered. Isn't it great that there is a wife uh, described like this in the Bible? How good is this? And others feel like, who on earth could live up to this? This model, this bar, sorry, is so high. And then not to mention that not all women are wives. And, and not all people are women. So how are we all supposed to come to this today? What does Proverbs 31 have to say to all of us? I want to say, however you are coming to this today, it's my prayer that we can all look at it afresh, that we can dig into it and come away cherishing and praising the life lived in the fear of the Lord. That's how I want all of us to walk away from today, that we might be those who cherish and praise the life lived in the fear of the Lord. Because whilst, yes, this poem does tell us about this wife of noble character, this part of God's Word has something to say to all of us, and especially as it closes the whole book of Proverbs, that is the epilogue of the whole book of Proverbs. So I've got four points. If you haven't got an outline, there are some, hopefully some up the back. These are the four points. Uh, who can find the noble wife? Point one. Number two, the noble wife works hard for the sake of her family. Point three, the noble wife protects for the present and is secure for the future. And number four, the greatest treasure in the whole world is the fear of God. Let's start with point one which starts with the very question. That whole poem starts with that very question. A wife of noble character, who can find? And then we're told immediately why that question is posed, because she is worth far more than rubies. Rubies are precious and rare. So if this wife is worth far more than them, then we can understand why she is difficult to find. But things that are rare and precious, they're also highly valuable. 
They're highly valuable. They're worth cherishing. They're worth protecting and never letting go of once you find them. And the reason for that is because look at the benefit that this wife brings for her husband in the very next verse. He will have full confidence in her. Full confidence. He will lack nothing of value. Why? Because she always brings good and not harm. That's why it's worth it. At this point in the poem, as, as readers, we're kind of meant to be set up for the rest of it now. There's a wife out there whose character means she's always bringing good for her husband. He trusts her and she's incredibly valuable. That's the setup of the poem. If we go back to verse 1 of the chapter, chapter 31, we see that this is actually the wisdom of a mum to a son. And he's writing this down. So you kind of, we kind of got to imagine somehow that we're ancient Israelites, young men, in a royal court, and our mum is telling us this. Who can find a noble wife? Now, at the very basic level, at the very basic level, what this poem, this whole poem is kind of saying is, is choose your wife carefully, son. Be slow to choose. Don't kind of just jump at the first girl that might look your way or smile at you. I think for the husbands in the room, these early verses for us, it's probably worth asking ourselves the question, do we have full confidence in our wife? And if not, what do we need to do differently? Not her, you. Because the picture of the husband, you don't get a lot about the husband in this, in, the, in this poem, but the picture is he's back in her. There's not an attempt to control her or anything like that, but giving her his full confidence. For those of us, or for those of you who might be raising young boys or young men, it's important that the wisdom this mother gives to her son is something we try to pass on to our own kids. For us as a church, I think we ought to cherish and value all women for what is truly valuable and what is most precious. But, but what are they? Well, the poem spends, the, well, the rest of the poem spends the time telling us those things. What is precious? What is this noble wife actually like? Let's go to our second point. The noble wife works hard for the sake of her family. I'm going to kind of do this point. It's two, two sort of, no, 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 that's the next point. Ignore me. No, don't ignore me. Keep listening to me for the rest of this. <laughs> Verses 13 to 18. They really paint a picture of this wife's work ethic and motivation. If we look at verses 13 to 16, we see her choosing the materials that she's then going to work with. And then she kind of gets into the work with eagerness. She's thoughtful about what she does. She's careful to be productive in, in her work. Then verse 16, she's careful in considering the field she's going to buy. And then it says, out of the earnings, she plants a vineyard. Again, careful to be productive. Then she's compared to merchant ships that bring food from afar. Likely, she's probably actually growing a lot of food on her own estate, but she's not kind of confined to that. If, if there's things she needs outside of what she's growing on her estate, she'll go and get them and bring them, bring them to provide the stuff that she needs. And then we're told she's getting up whilst it's still late at night to provide these things. It's actually quite interesting. The language that's used there, in, this is verse 15, is the same language that would be used for a predator. A predatory animal. She's like a predator who will get up at night at all costs to hunt down food for her household. Her concern to provide for her household is so strong, 
She will go to any lengths. And then in verses 17 and 18, there are two different pictures that, again, bring out this hard work for her family. Verse 17, it contains language that one might use actually for preparing for a battle. This woman is ready to fight, to provide, to carry out her tasks. And then in verse 18, the language for a lamp going out at night, it's actually an idiom. You know how we might say, break a leg to someone to say good luck or go well. This is a Hebrew idiom, and it refers actually to the home being in order. Picture it like this. Her trading is profitable, so she can ensure that her household is looked after. Another way to, another way to picture it, it's, it's not that she's working all throughout the night and she never sleeps, don't worry, but that her work actually produces light for the whole night. This wife works hard at her work out of a deep concern for her household. She works hard for the sake of her family. Now, this concern, it's actually not just confined to verses 13 and 18. You might look at verse 21, and the safety of her household's in view. You might look at verse 27. She's watching over all the affairs and, and this language of idleness. She's not lazy about it. It's all throughout the poem. So if you are a wife or if you choose to be or want to be a wife, the motivation for your choices you should make should be about the care of your family, the productivity of your household. Now, I don't, I don't want to be misheard at this point. Your concern is for your family. That does not mean you are confined to your home or even that it's necessarily your responsibility to do everything around the home. What I think it means broadly is carefully consider your gifts and utilize them to ensure your family is well looked after. I think a lot of us in the room will probably know that marriage is a significant choice. It's a significant thing to step into. Don't enter it lightly, we hear. And it's it's because it brings a significant shift in priority with those promises that are made. I will now make choices for my family, for my household. That's the posture of this wife in the poem. Your own agenda is now second to your family's, and, it, and it's hugely countercultural, right? The point is not so much the specific things that she does, you know, the textiles or whatever else she's doing, but it's the end that she does them for, the thing that is motivating her hard work. It's a flourishing household. And so maybe for you, that is, a, a, as a full-time mum, maybe for you, that will be work. Am I coming through? Okay. I trust. I got nods and shakes, so I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> maybe maybe you, you, have, you have kids with high needs and you will need to be around more at home. Maybe your life circumstances actually demand to be working. Maybe you have, you're married, but you have absolutely no kids. Absolutely no kids. You have no kids. Stacks of time. How, how might you use that? The principle is, whatever the situation, to prioritize your family so they can flourish. And I think one of the big takeaways for all of us is this principle of other person-centeredness. For a wife, that might be her family, but who is it for you? We aren't to be selfish, and we are to be selfless. The hard work we all are to put in is, supposed to be, is not supposed to be motivated sorry, by self-fulfillment. J- 
just do a job because it makes you happy. No. Actually, work for other people. Other people say, yes, use your gifts, utilize what you're good at, what you know, but your motivation is for the other. It might be in the workplace, it might be at home, it could be here at church, it could be at a, a weekly social, but how are you using your gifts for the other? Ultimately, the motivation for all of us should be modeled on Christ, who was so other people-centered that he gave his life for others. This is a reality I think we've got to, as Christians especially, keep reminding ourselves of. We are not the center of our own universes. So our own self-fulfillment actually shouldn't be our ultimate motivation in life. Friends of Merrin and I were going through a really tough time. They, they have two kids, and their younger child was really struggling. He was getting into a lot of trouble at school. He was being socially isolated. Even parents would keep their kids away from him so that uh, he wouldn't be a bad influence or something. You can kind of imagine the, the tears that were coming at this point in their life. He ended up also developing some health issues, and so the decision really uh, came for the mum. She, she shared this with me and has said I can share this as well, that how am I going to be a good wife? How am I going to be a good mum? Now, this, this woman was quite successful in her career, quite high up, and so she decided she was going to take actually a year off work, organise it with work, prayed through it with her Bible study so that she could just be around to help her boy to lower the stress around home. And she described this year to me like this. She said, it was an absolute gift. An absolute gift. So the relationship with both her kids, which she didn't expect with the older one, but both of them got 10 times better. There was an improvement in her marriage. She put her family... It's a fantastic example. And that's what it is. It's an example. But it's also an example for all of us to think about what it might look like to be other person-centred. That was our second point. The wife works hard for her household, but what is it that she actually does for them? Because that's where the poem then goes. What does she produce might be a word that covers the three different things. Our third point. I actually think what we see is three dimensions of her production. Verses 19 to 20 is her production for the poor. Verses 21 to 24 is her production for her family. And then 25 and 26 are actually the production of her character. Production of her character. In those first two, what we're going to see is that she protects for the present. And that last one is that she provides security for the future, or she herself is secure for the future. Let's jump into verses 19 and 20. These kind of combine, they, come, they work together to create a picture of a woman working hard with her hands on the one hand, and then on the, on the other side, she's using the very same hands to give to the poor and needy. What she gains from her work, she uses to provide for the poor and needy. But she does not do it at the expense of her household, verse 21. She doesn't fear for them when the snow comes because they're dressed in scarlet. They're dressed in the most expensive garb you can get. These days, it's like, wearing Gore-Tex Patagonia jackets, right? The highest waterproof rating, the highest windproof rating that you can get. So when it snows, she's not worried. But also, you'll notice, she doesn't neglect herself. She actually makes sure her home, especially her bed, is what's comfy. She makes coverings for it. She's dressed herself in fine linen and purple, the color of wealth and luxury. 
She does look after the needy, yes, but not at the cost of her family and not even at the cost necessarily of herself. And then we come to verse 23, which feels a bit odd in everything else that's been around, where we suddenly her husband pops up again, and he's respected at the city gate, we're told. This is the place of significant civic duty. He's in, sitting amongst the elders. He's respected. He is known there. Now, in the context of the poem, he is not respected or known because of his you know, eloquent diplomacy or some grand speeches he's given. In the context of the poem... It's actually the wise living of his wife that is earning him respect. It's the predicate of the respect he gets. This wife produces charity for the poor, safety for herself and family, and brings respect to her husband. The way I've tried to sum all that is protection for the present, in the present time. For wives, is this how your, your production? Are you ensuring protection for the present? Providing somehow for the poor and needy if you're able? Are your kids, if you have them, safe in the snowstorm, so to speak? What about your husband? Is he respected because of you? This last one, I wonder if, if it could be the most difficult. Maybe that's because he ought to be the least likely to be vulnerable or needy. Maybe some of you are thinking, no, that's not true. He's the most needy. But I think there are two implications that we can take for it, from it. And the first one, I think, is actually f- is for husbands. Do you talk up your wife? I mean, on the one hand, as you read this poem, obviously her endeavors speak for themselves. But I think the implication is actually that he is bringing praise to her wife at this city gate. He's talking about her positively. And if there's any doubt, we just wait, wait for how the poem ends. The other implication is for wives. Do you actually want your husband to be respected by others? Is there a tendency maybe to belittle or talk him down? I think maybe for others to respect him, it will start with you respecting him for his gifts. And I hope for his self-sacrifice for you and for your family. And what we then get with those two implications is an overall picture. A wife who brings respect to her husband and a husband who brings praise for his wife to his wife. And this can be a completely different picture to what I think our culture tells us. I think our culture wants to quantify everything. In a marriage, 50-50 is the ideal. You have to bring 50-50, and the problem I think we ha- that that produces, sorry, is a competition in a marriage, competitiveness in a marriage. Who's done more this week? And that's completely different to the biblical picture. One flesh, a unity without competing, conflict. A team brought together to honour God, carry out His mission, raise a family and give back to society. A wife respecting her husband and a husband praising his wife. Not a competition, but working together to love God. That was the first part of point three, the wife of noble character protects for the present. Second part is she also brings security for the future. In verse 25, we're told that she's actually now dressed in something completely different. It's her strength and dignity. And that is what she's able to laugh at the future with. What an awesome illustration and an image. She laughs at the future because of her strength and character. She's adorned with it. 
It's not the stuff she makes and owns that's her insurance policy for the future. It's her character, and that's vitally important. Because the Gore-Tex, right, it's good for the present whenever the snow falls, but the strength, but the character, sorry, of strength and dignity is the thing that lasts. It's the thing that lasts. Then in verse 26, we get this kind of last image of her production, and it's wisdom, it's teaching, it's instruction. She's imparting the wise living that she's done to others, presumably so that they might as well laugh at the future. And that is the greatest thing anyone can glean from her, is the wisdom that she has to provide from her own wise living. The wife of noble character produces security for the future. And where is that found? In her character, strength and dignity. It's her wisdom. This leaves us, I think, with a question. It leaves us with lots of things, but just for today, one question. What do we prize most? Protection for the present or security for the future? And what is it that we think provides that, those things? This wife in the poem gets it. She has nice things. She, clothes, she makes, them, makes them herself. She clothes herself with them and her family. But character and wisdom are above it all. That is the thing that lasts. That's the thing that gives her security for the future. And if you don't believe me, well, just wait until we get to verse 30 because it's absolutely undeniable then. We're not secure in the future because of earthly things. There's a well-known Christian kids' song called The Greatest Treasure. The main line goes like this. I'm not going to sing it. The greatest treasure in the whole wide world is peace with God. Security for the future is not in the things the wife of noble character has, but it is in her wisdom, which verse 30 does tell us is about the fear of the Lord. So we've been talking about all term. I think you could rewrite the lyrics something like this. The greatest treasure in the whole wide world is the fear of the Lord. Because it's only in fear in Him that you can have peace with Him. What do we prioritize in our lives for all of us? Is it character that's built around God's Word and fear in Him? Or is it the things we own? Is it good financial management? Is it our relationships? Is it the next sense of adventure? The future is secure only in a character built on wisdom. Everything else is going to fade away. But a life built on wisdom, fearing the Lord, even death can't take that away. And that's why the ending of this poem is critical. You have to get to the end of this poem because it ends with an incredible chorus of praise for the wife of noble character because the greatest treasure in the whole wide world is the fear of God. It's our final point. We see this chorus of praise from 28 to 31. The first praise is the response of her family. The kids bless her and the husband praises her. They consider themselves fortunate to have her as a mom and a wife. Verse 29 is, is, is what the husband is saying, his words of praise. You surpass them all. There was a song that I used to like listen to and had this as the main line. There's beautiful girls all over the world that I could be chasing, but I'd be wasting my time because they've got nothing on you. This is kind of the sentiment behind this verse. There are plenty of noble women out there, but they've got nothing on you. You surpass them all. I, I sometimes wonder if that rapper, it was a rap song, wrote the song after reading this verse. Probably not. 
But if he did, he should have kept reading. He should have kept reading on because the very next verse, charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting. And then we get to the key line of the whole poem. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. It's not about the allure. It's not about the physical attraction. It's the fear of the Lord. I want to say, take comfort in that. If you feel like maybe your beauty is fading or your wit is slowing, if you wanted to be a wife and you're not, if you wanted to be a mum but you're not and you're desperate to be, your identity is ultimately in the fear of the Lord. Wherever you come to this poem from, verse 30 is the bit we all must cling to. Because the greatest treasure in the whole wide world is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I want to say this. I don't think the rest of this poem exists without verse 30. It's the beginning of wisdom. And what high words for a woman, every woman who fears the Lord, praise. That is a word most commonly used in the Old Testament directed toward God. Fearing God is praiseworthy. And then verse 31, how it ends. Honor her. It's the only command in the whole poem. Honor her. Honor this woman. Why? For what she has done, for the way she has lived, for her wisdom, ultimately for her fear of the Lord. Wherever you are in life, fear the Lord. I wonder, maybe some of this has been hard to hear. And not necessarily for any fault of your own, but because our culture doesn't prize women for the same things that this poem does. It prizes women for being able to juggle everything. It prizes women for making choices for themselves and not for others. Putting your family first, bringing respect to your family, uh, your husband, it's not really celebrated by our culture. In fact, you could probably argue that some of those things are even frowned upon by our culture. Our culture will tell us that success is measured by finances, power, these days sexual experience or status. That might be why our culture would be faster to say praise a female CEO than they are a full-time mom. Cultural narrative is different. and I know from speaking with some of you that this makes it hard to hear and possibly even live some of these things. So I just want to say two, two things quickly. Wives, thank you for caring for your families, especially at the expense of your own desires, so they are safe in the present and can laugh at the future, so that your husband is respected. And to all women, thank you above all for fearing the Lord. And to all of us, don't buy it. Don't buy the, cultural's na- the culture's narrative of what's important. The story I shared earlier of our friend uh, it just encourages me so much because of the joy that just comes out of that, out of her decision to fear the Lord, put her family first. The fear of the Lord is the greatest treasure. It's not any cultural metric for success. The reason is because the fear of the Lord gives us hope 
when we feel like we can't live up to the character of this wife. But it also gives us a reason to keep striving despite our inability. Why? Because ultimately the wife of noble character points beyond herself to the only one who perfectly feared the Lord. You see, Jesus, we've heard this term, is the very wisdom of God. But he's not only the very wisdom of God. He came into the world to be made and he lived the life of perfect wisdom as well. He's the one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Saw that in Hebrews. He's the one who learned obedience through what he suffered and once made perfect became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Jesus Christ lived wisdom. He is the very wisdom and he came as a man and lived the life of wisdom to be our eternal salvation. You see, when we feel crushed by our failure to fear the Lord, we can turn to the one who stood in the garden of Gethsemane in utter distress, but still said, not my will, but yours. That's the fear of the Lord. Wrap your head around that. A saviour like this, who can find? Jesus is far more valuable than rubies. He lived completely for the other, for his church. He stepped into the path of the wrath of God as a perfect man to pay for sin. Jesus protects for the present by being our advocate now before the Father. He has secured our future through the resurrection. We can have eternal life. And ultimately, before and above anyone else, he deserves our praise. The book of Proverbs points us both to the wisdom of God and the life of wisdom, both found in the person of Jesus Christ. I think that the wife of noble character is an illustration made to lift our eyes to the one life lived in perfected fear of the Lord. Perfect wisdom. Live that way for our salvation, for our rescue. Ultimately, it's his life above all that we must cherish and praise. Like I said, it was our wedding anniversary the other day. Uh, yesterday, not the other day. I've already forgotten the date. <laughs> we went out for dinner the other day to celebrate. And we were sort of reflecting on our last year, just the last year of marriage that we've had. And at one point, Maren asked me, she said, excuse me, have you felt supported this year? Have you felt supported this year? I thought back over the year and I was like, man, it's a clear answer. It's yes. You know, when I've been down, she has given me kind words. When I've been busy, she's held the fort. She's helped me laugh. Even, believe it or not, she's laughed at some of my jokes. We've led a Bible study together and she's made plenty of sacrifices just so that we can even be here doing ministry. She's, she's wonderful. I truly do cherish her. Jesus lived the perfect life of wisdom so that all, man or woman, married or single, young or old, can have eternal salvation. He lived in perfect fear of the Lord. 
cherish and praise Christ above all. Will you join me as I pray to close? Father, we do thank you so much for the women and the wives that you have put in our lives. We thank you for the gifts you've given them and ultimately for their fear of the Lord, for their fear of you. Above all, Lord, we thank you for Christ and his fear that he didn't consider equality with you something to be grasped but made himself nothing and died in our place so that we can have eternal salvation. We thank you for his life of perfect wisdom. Help us all to cherish and praise him above all. And we pray in his name. Amen.